Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain market report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's market report. Welcome to the market report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 7th of September 2020. Okay, I keep running on about how harvest has finished in Norfolk, which it just about has. And I've had one or two comments from up north to kind of moan a spot about that, because obviously there's a lot still going on up there, to the point where they got too much rain last week and uh, even in the south of England there's been rather large amounts of rain doing quite a lot of damage to any crops that are still standing so to any northern listeners I apologise for talking about harvest being finished we haven't loved this harvest and so we're kind of relieved it is over but uh, for you guys who are still going through it um, yeah good luck I hope it's turned sunny and you end up getting this job done within the next seven days I believe at this point in time, Scotland's about 50% of the way through. Uh, no doubt will be told I'm wrong on that one. And I think the north of England isn't that much further forward either. So it's been a time where anything left out in the field is getting damaged. It's got sprouting grains, it's got lower hagbergs, and it's got issues with malting barley. So there's a few further unknowns or wild cards thrown into the pack now so uh, so life has become a little bit more interesting from a marketing perspective if you can just guess what happens next which is generally the life of a grain trader anyway so we will start with some positive news on feed barley harvest is over in large areas of the east and there is plenty of feed barley that has been traded already so anyone who's kind of cut it and doesn't need to move it has tucked it away somewhere so prices are consequently moving up So X farm, September, you would make 124X, or if you're looking at November, 128X. And I would say that's a pretty conservative guess as well. I mean, those are better prices than harvest, which is a reward for keeping it. But I don't see anybody rushing forward and selling it immediately. So I think that one's going to stay underlyingly firm. And there certainly seems to be interest now coming in from the Dutch and the Irish. My old mate Phelan, who was on one of our podcasts earlier, phoned up and said, look, we haven't done anything. Uh, And if we want to do something before Brexit uh, ruins our trading relationship, then uh, we'd better do some barley between now and December. So that's in the back of my mind. So feed barley firming up. And as on the intro of this, the the malting barley market is going to now have some uncertainty because some of those crops that were planned to go into a particular contract are obviously going to fail on germination now. So what is the price of malting barley? What is the stock levels of malting barley and how much do they actually really need to use? So it is quite complex and I I do not see the malting barley price rioting up through the roof because there's too many... There's too many issues we've talked about previously, you know, the COVID lack of beer drinking and the stocks, etc., that created a market that was fairly weak during the harvest period. But it is in a mind to not have quite so much supply coming forward and that does certainly cause a bit of uncertainty. And if a merchant has got a high-priced sale, sometimes he needs to focus very hard on getting exactly the right spec to get that grain delivered. That as an issue, a merchant needs to 
absolutely deliver on a very high-priced contract and make sure he gets the spec in there. He does not want to miss out on that contract. So he will perhaps pay a few more pounds than the actual going market rate to secure that barley. So there are some opportunities if you have a good spec sample still for sale. So malting barley values, just as I say, an outline, I would say 165 nitrogen, you might get somewhere like 150x, something like that, uh, for autumn movement. I think we'll know more in a week or two's time. So if you're looking at, at values, I would say Deck delivered, yeah, probably 140 to 145 is about where you're going to be at. So moving on to oilseed rape, uh, Intrepid Ian Webster was kind of, um, didn't really know what he was saying this morning. He looked a bit sleepy. So his view was the market will firm up, but it won't happen until after Christmas. He thinks it's going to stay fairly neutral. I mean, it's 3.30x for November, which is a price hike. And if you are in the mood to sell some rape, obviously you'll get a very fine-tuned price if you phone up and check where prices are. But I would say 3.30x nov, it's not going to change much from that in our view. Obviously, there is a lot of currency attached to that. If we have a weak pound, the market will go up. If we have a strong pound, we'll have the market going down. So don't forget to watch currency. And depending on your view of, obviously, what happens with the Brexit negotiations, we might get an incredibly strong pound as we tell those silly Europeans how, how moronic they are. And it's ironic that, isn't it funny, this week that we see the uh, Europeans being blamed for being difficult in their uh, in their negotiations. I find that the first opportunity of excuse of the Brexiteers to deny Project Fear, as they called it. But then, of course, you've always got COVID-19 as an excuse now, haven't you? So you're, you're covered whichever way you go. Although I do think the farming community who voted for Brexit might have regretted it, actually now reflecting. Um, enough politics, Andrew. So wheat... Exactly as we've said for the last five weeks, there is a lack of farmer selling, and we actually predicted this as we came out of July. The issue that's occurred is the basis price, and basis, as most of you know, is the difference between the futures price, which everybody religiously uses as their benchmark, and their actual uh, where they sell it from. So ex-farm basis over the recent years for November has been futures price less £7. Well, that's been blown out the water this year, and the delivered price over futures has been either at futures price basis delivered Norfolk homes or £1 or possibly sometimes £2 over. Well, that's gone up to 4 to £5 over at the moment. So the ex-farm basis has moved from minus 7 to arguably minus 3 or 4 but that is all over the place and there are some wild and crazy prices out there as merchants and bigger traders have got a problem trying to fill the sales they've made commitments to for September and October and either they drag wheat forward from their November book or they have to pay up to get supply and that's what's going on and farmers think that everybody wants their wheat forever now there's there's people phoning up and hassling them and doing whatever they do with their text messages and in reality um, these prices spot which would be, you're talking 165x for September, we wouldn't pay any more than that. We'd probably pay that for November, and we would probably pay that for September as well. In between, I guess it's the same price. If you are going to sell it for Nov, why don't you sell it now and just have two months extra money in the bank? But uh, hey, it doesn't seem to be the way it works. And if, if anything, I don't see the farmer log jams ceasing. So I think the market will go probably up a bit further as people desperately try and find some wheat somewhere for sale. So that's the biggest issue is that. Now nearby therefore we see the market going up or staying the same at the very least. Further forward, late season, well if you consider that we have not produced enough wheat in this country, which everybody knows, the price consequently is up at import parity 
and import parity means the price that wheat can come into the country is about where we're trading. So there have been cargoes of feed wheat bought into the UK from Denmark and various other places. And there's also been a very, very large amount of milling wheat bought into the country. A lot of German and Polish wheat is coming into the UK. Now, that is beginning to add up. So say you normally take in quarter of a million tonnes of German wheat and we're going to have 750,000 tonnes of German wheat. It doesn't take long for people to realise that we are going to import enough to cover the gap. And when we get to that moment, that's when the consumer will be covered. That's when the demand for people to buy it will have diminished. And that's when you'll all be trying to sell it at the same time. So I do believe when we get to the point where the market's been held to ransom by farmers not selling it, if you want to put it that way around, then it's forced imports. And consequently, there is a point where the balance is tipped and we've got too much wheat. And if you bear in mind that the discount for 2021 harvest at the moment is over £20 a tonne, then you realise that everybody will sell all of their wheat by the time they get to the end of July. So at some point, during the season, unless the whole world has a, a supply problem, this market is going to come down. So you're relying on world weather to give you the boost, the continued upward moving markets, which could easily happen. But if you look specifically at the UK, you have gained advantage by collectively not selling the grain. So just bear that in the back of your heads. I think with that, Brexit talk, WTO, £78 a tonne on any exports we try and achieve. It doesn't look very promising, does it? I think that... Um, We're in for a very, very difficult period of people trying to grasp what happens next with that one. We are getting to the fine point of it. We've got three months to go, and within the next three months, we will have an answer to what exactly UK cereal prices are going to be doing and what we're going to be able to buy at and whether we are going to be able to export it. So it could be an incredibly risky, hairy period for you guys, and bear that in the back of your mind. It does exist. It is going to happen. This is the deadline of all deadlines where it can't get push back another six months so just focus a little bit on that one thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours crush foods produces a unique range of single variety cold pressed rapeseed oils all their seed is grown here in norfolk they only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. Today I've got with me one of the people who's managed to listen to my voice every other week for two years and loved every second of it. So Susie Colson, hello. Hello, Andrew. Susie has been the unheard voice of the Doing Grain podcast where she's been our other editor. I have, yes. And have you loved it? I've loved every single moment (laughs) of it. (laughs) Good, I'm very pleased to hear that. Now, Susie didn't know she's going to be interviewed this morning, but there's going to be a a change of editors shortly because Susie's moving on to some other stuff, which you can't talk about yet, can you, Susie? No, top secret. Top secret. We're definitely going to miss your very gentle criticism or gentle movement of us in, in the correct direction. Cutting you and, yeah, leaving all the dodgy bits out, basically. That's my job. I mean, Ian Webster is generally the person who's cut the most, I guess. I wouldn't say that, Andrew, no. I think you do pretty well at getting cut as well. I think we take out some of the the less broadcastable bits. 
Yeah. We, we, without doubt, have stepped over the line on several occasions, and yeah. then the, the actual the podcast comes out, and I've been thinking, oh, I'm going to regret some of those things. And without doubt, yeah. you know, there was there was a period where some fairly controversial things were going on, and we had some opinions on them. And we certainly had some opinions on them, and miraculously, they were just they just disappeared. Yeah, I think it takes time, I guess, to know the people involved in a podcast and, and understand the personalities. And that alone is going to take some time for our new our new editor is listening in on this. You're going to have some early troubles, I think, with not me, obviously. Well, my favourite ones have been when it's the four or five of you and we kind of have you going off on a bit of a moment and Webby chipping in. And then Ben kind of comes in as the voice of reason and then Joe will step in as a you know there'll be a long pause from Joe and then he'll try and calm it all down a little bit yeah and then Josh chucks a brick in the water yeah <laughs> yeah which is like can be really random and it's and which generally generally gets us going in a completely different direction one of the things we were just talking before the mics were turned on and you mentioned and we're going to come on to beer in a little while and you don't like beer but we're going to make you drink one aren't we? <sighs> God, yeah, they all taste the same. No, they don't. You wax lyrical about this. You all absolutely love your beer and, and you drink it in the morning, which never ceases to amaze me. I don't know how you can drink in the morning and then go and do a full day's work. Yeah, well, It takes lose. years of practice, I imagine. <laughs> hey, look, we're talking about the UK grain trade here. If ever you go to a, um, a meeting of the UK grain trade, I went to, uh, there's a European boss and uh, I went across... Um, yeah, I've been across with Webby and the, and the boys on, and we maybe fly somewhere and, yeah, invariably you get to an airport. What do you do? with It's just blokes. You kind of have to. It's almost like you're on holiday again, but you're not really. And then you go to the bar and you find a whole lot of <laughs> grain traders standing there having a beer as well. And when I went to, um, to one with Ollie, this was the biannual malting barley brewers convention that gets together in Europe every two years. So we flew out from Norwich to Amsterdam, 8 a.m. Oh, Dutch time. And Ollie goes straight up to the Heineken Mark, goes, we better have a throat opener, he said. <laughs> Even that was early for me. And then the next thing, along comes, you know, Mike Dagg comes along and, and, and he joins us. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a tradition, I suppose. You've taken a bit of um, umbrage about the fact that we've picked on your trendy beers. Well, there's been the odd comment about too many beers in a can, too many... They're all a bit fruity, aren't they? They're all a bit sort of pineapple-y or passion fruity or whatever. Mm. So, yeah, you don't seem to like those so much. You prefer... Well, is it the can that you bought? I kind of did choose them on purpose because I knew it would wind you up, yeah. No, 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 but did you not... You, you weren't, you're saying that it was, you're just doing it specifically. I'll pick the worst can because that will wind them up. Yeah. Or it wasn't... You weren't drawn to it because it's like beer people who don't make a good beer have to have a flashy can to get women to buy it or guys who don't know much about beer to well, buy it I quite like the look of the cans I thought they looked I thought some of them looked quite good mm. which is why we got them to begin with but then we very quickly realized that it was <laughs> irritating the hell out of you so that's why we carried on buying them I don't understand beer I don't really get the differences I was kind of hoping for you know an espresso martini this morning but <laughs> if beer's all we've got then yeah, well, I'll give it my best shot. Well, okay, we'll we'll, we'll get to that in a minute because it's you know I'll, I'll push it to as late in the morning as we can get. So editing now, I know that during the winter I had a cough, didn't I? You did, and it kept going on and on and on, and you managed to cut ninety nine point nine percent of the out. Yeah, yeah. You were worried about me, weren't you? 
<laughs> I was worried about you. I think it was, yeah, it was a very noticeable cough that went on for months. Yeah. Yeah. Cured, don't look. It's gone. I know, miraculously, it's yeah, I'm, gone. I'm pleased with that. The editing point of that is, you also said... You always know when something's going to happen because Andrew sniffs. Yeah, you do. And I don't even—I don't even know I sniff now. But I became incredibly sensitive to me sniffing. Well, your new editor will realise that you can look along a line of recording and you can see what's coming. So I know the shape of everything from all of you. So I know what your ums look like mm. and what your sniffs look like. Mm. And I know what. Yeah. There's two ums there. There we go. We'll chop those out. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really intrigued by my sniff. What exactly? When do I sniff? Well, everyone's got fillers. Everyone says, mm, uh, you know, they take a big breath and everyone's speech pattern is different. But we all need things that, I guess, allow our brain to catch up with our mouths. We all have to slow our speech down. This is a very difficult mouth to keep up with. You know that. Is it? Yeah. That doesn't surprise it just, me. Just out it comes, and then and then the thought process occurs about five minutes. Quite often, I'm talking to a farmer about strategy for their grain, and I'll I'll stand there and I'm running on, and out of my mouth comes all of this fabulous advice, and I think to myself, God, that's a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> who, who had that? Honestly, if I'm talking out loud and it, it comes, I think, oh yeah, they really should do that. So let's talk about farmers then, because you give them quite a hard time, don't you? Do you think so? Yeah, I do. In what context do I give them a hard time? I think I said to you quite early on that I, I was surprised that you kind of really hammered into them about some things. And I think you're quite keen that people understand the market, aren't you? You're quite keen that they understand certain key points. When you say the word farmer, it envisages in a, you know, a kid in school used to sing the farmer needs a wife. Well, you're not allowed to sing that anymore. It's now the farmer needs a person. But you can't even sing that probably. <laughs> The farmer encompasses a whole load of different personalities mm. and types and you know, they could be a chicken farmer or a pig farmer or they could be an arable farmer or they could be all of those things. And they're quite happy, lots of them are really happy to create or live along with the image that they are the hardest working people in the country. And a lot of them are incredibly lovely people, really kind and aware of their surroundings and what they do and they're, and they're very giving and very, very conscious of their good fortune how they live their life every day outside in the fresh air but to paint an image of getting up at 5am every morning and going to bed when the sun goes down it's just not true and a lot of them would love to continue that on and pretend they're busy for a whole year and I won't let some of them do that because they want to assume a role of being liked by everybody for being really hard working and we're feeding the world Lots of them are much more commercial than that. The, the motivation is not to do the best with their soil. We had that, that interview with, with the, the Earl of Leicester. The interview with the Earl of Leicester, who very clearly talked mm, about soil yeah. health and development. We had a really positive response to that, predominantly from non-farmers. Some farmers have commented on it and said, well, yeah, OK, but... And there is a phenomenally complex argument in that. There are several farmers who can cope with the complex argument and really debate the thing thoroughly, scientifically, accurately, with full information and awareness. And there's a whole load of them who are quite happy to, like, shirt tail on the, you get up first thing in the morning and work, and you go to bed late at night, and you work all the time, don't you? Oh, yes, yes, we do. And, yes, I do try to bring some of them round a bit to maybe they are a little bit more fortunate than they realise. And other ones I will give complete airtime to and respect to say that I think you're doing an amazing job. Murray Ferguson, I keep running on about Murray, but what that man said was that 
you know, there's, there was a bit where he was talking about walking down a track. He said, if you just stop mm. and sit on the side and look, he said, you will be amazed at what you could lose two hours just looking at what's going on around you. Actually look at it. He said, and young people nowadays, I pointed at Rhiannon there, young people nowadays seem incapable. They have to have, get their sweets out or get their toys out or get their phones out and to actually just sit there and be. And that is an opportunity that a farmer has on a daily basis if he chooses, if he's not in a really busy period. It's an unbelievable privilege and just some of them don't realise that. Mm. I've gone off on one, haven't I? That's what I was talking about. Yeah. This is the other phenomenon I've discovered about podcasts is that when someone has a microphone in front of them, if I have a conversation directly with you, we have a conversation that's just the two of us talking. If you have a microphone, it isn't just us. Then somewhere subliminally in your head and in my head, there is an audience. Whether you're conscious of that or not, there is a definite difference in the answers that people give. So people are much more open, especially farmers. I mean, you talk about farmers, they inherently don't actually share information that greatly. They're, they're kind of secretive about stuff. You know, they don't want people to know what prices they've made. They don't. Mm. They want to have their own, own little niche of, oh, I got, I've got a good deal with him, I'll keep that quiet. So it's in their nature to be a little bit cautious with information. And yet with a microphone in front of them, they have been much more open. It's actually fascinating. I, I've noticed it and enjoyed it. I've got more from them as individuals because they're kind of spreading their story that they want everyone to hear, not just what oh, I'm going to tell my grain trader. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think some of the guests... Yeah, I've really noticed how kind of generous they are with sharing their experience. So thinking about that then, what made you decide that you were going to share your pearls of wisdom? I mean, each week with the market report, you're basically telling people information that I would have thought was sometimes something you'd want to... Oh, Keep a bit that. closer a to your question. chest. I'm going to run on. I'm going to go. I nearly my little brain went off in a, in a hundred directions. Then come out with some some rubbish. Well, firstly, I've always said podcast never listened to one and didn't really think that much of it. I was told by people younger than myself that it was a good phenomena, and you know, and I backed that up with my colleagues. Oh yeah, we listen to podcasts. What good would it do us? You know, and and how on earth would saying out loud my thoughts? What on earth would that do? The dynamic of it is that most people don't actually say out loud honestly what they think in terms of trading. They're going to try and either buy it a bit cheaper than they should be or or, or whatever they're doing. And certainly a trading company doesn't want to give away its hand in terms of its trading view. Because if you say that, they're going to go, ah, he needs to buy it. He's just told me on the podcast he needs to buy it, we'll we'll squeeze him. And a big company, that would have a big influence on most of my industry is is made of very very large corporate organizations now and those guys actually aren't allowed to say anything mm. you know that they're very clamped down on in terms of having an outspoken opinion and it has to be checked by everybody which is fine you know that's corporateness and that's that's you know computer says no we can't do it when you're an independent and you know in this industry in my time the industry has shrunk from lots of merchants down to very few merchants and we are one of the very few that have set up and succeeded without going spectacularly broke so that kind of gives me a little bit of a platform of knobbiness doesn't it it gives me a well you know what are you going to tell me about this Sonny I've been doing this for 40 years and I've set my own business up and you know you're the cleverest bloke on the planet how much do you earn I can do whatever I want with people who are trading two three four million tons a year and I'm trading 250,000 tons I'm I'm just a minnow but it reminds me of when I was 20 years old and I was talking to a chap called John Felgate, who's still still around, I believe, trading. And I was working for Dargetti's and I was being derisory about him. He was an older guy and I was just being really knobby. 
and like, huh, how many tons do you trade, John? <laughs> oh, you know, 50. <laughs> and at the end of the telephone conversation, one of the guys at Dalgetty, a chap called Tony Carter, who'd been around enough years, he said, um, young man, because they talked like that in those days, young man, he said, how much do you earn a year? And I think I was on something like, you know, three grand a year or something. And he says, um, John Felgate will probably earn that this week. And the realisation that it's not about, it's all about size, Susie, but it isn't. That if you think you're the best person on the planet because you're trading three million tonnes, you're not. You're the bloke who's working really hard to trade three million tonnes and you're earning this much a year. If you're a bloke who's trading 500 tonnes and you're earning ten times what the other guy's doing and your quality of life is better, where should your motivation be? So the dynamic of this whole industry has gone from being lots of small people to being very few, and therefore there's very few people who could actually do a podcast, mm. who could actually stand there and say out loud something. Mm. And then if someone wishes to call them out, and lots of people could call me out on being an idiot and getting it wrong, and you know my reasons for the market going up might be completely wrong, and it's still gone up, and I pretend I got it right. But not many of them can stand there and call me an idiot. I can just go, Really? What have you done in the last 40 years? You know, what, where, where have you worked? Oh, there's two or three guys who I fully respect and have been better traders than I have, but there aren't any out there that have done... There's a guy, Paul Toseland, in, up in uh, Lincolnshire. He's, he's done a similar job, done exceptionally well, but there aren't many that have actually walked the walk. Mm. Lots of people talking the talk, but walking the walk. So once I kind of feel like I've done it, and therefore, I'm entitled to an opinion. And there's a large slice of who's going to sack me. Good point. So then, that's why I'm doing a podcast. So who's listening? Because we obviously see stats, but we don't know anything about who's listening. But I'm guessing you do, because you know who's commenting on it. You know who's getting in touch and calling you out on stuff or objecting to your northern impressions, which I also object to as a northerner. Do you? Yeah. Are they, are they inaccurate then? No, they're quite good, actually. Well, can you do one? I don't know. I'll go and get me whip it. No, please take that out. Gosh, we're um, really going to take that out. It. Keep the whip it. <laughs> See, I told you. Yep. There's whippets up north. No, <laughs> trouble up north. Susie brought them down here, but, <laughs> but she said for petting purposes, but in fact, she's racing them. <laughs> Phenomenally, the grain trade is listening. Ollie gave me a hard time this morning because one of his molster buyers from way up in Scotland said, oh, I hear there's loads of low nitrogen malting barley in Norfolk. And I said, uh, well, he said, he's been listening to your podcast. I said, oh, Eddie Douglas listens to my Fantastic. podcast. Fantastic. I've arrived. But the point is, the UK grain trade, a lot of the UK grain trade, do listen to my podcast. It comes back to them, either I say something and someone sends it to them, say, yo, listen to this, is what, listen to what you said, because I've, I've had the, the odd moment of upsetting people. But largely, people on a Monday morning drive into work and have heard the, the unwise or the wise words of me. They probably just listen to the market report bit, generally, uh, and some of them will go on to the other bits sometimes, depending on how, mm. how far they've got to travel, I guess. It's been a very good decision on the whole. We're going to continue at the moment. We don't think it's gone stale and we're still getting people reacting and, and listening and being positive about it. So. Good stuff. So we, we better do this beer thing, because you, you, you sat and watched us all these two I years know. worth. So I'll do the pouring for obvious reasons. Okay, so this week we are drinking... I don't know if there's enough in your glass to taste. Lavender actually. honey from the Wolf Brewery and it is 3.8%. Let's have a look at the blurb. It's from the heart of Norfolk. So I made a real effort this week, Andrew, to get you a local beer. Mm -hmm. 
Honey, oh gosh, honey from Norfolk is infused during the brewing process to give this light golden beer a delicate yet Moorish flavour. Okay. Well, Tess hasn't poured very much in your glass. No, I don't want very much. Well, you didn't know that. You haven't tried it yet. You haven't tried the honey infused bit. I'll just pour myself a bit more just for scientific purposes. I mean, it smells like beer. Yeah, that's a handy start. You know. Oh, God, it's (laughs) I can't believe it. You're a northern lass. And you don't drink beer? No, Come on, God, love. I don't. You should have it for breakfast. Uh, <laughs> I bathe in the stuff. No, I'm not keen on that. What do you think? Do you know what? I can, I can taste the honey. Can I'm, you? I'm an expert. Okay. Wolf Brewery are a good Norfolk brewery. They have some great beers. Putting honey in it is a bit, you know, it's a bit trendy. Fair play. I guess that's a, a keep things fresh and come up with a new invention. Their normal beers are fantastically good. This is just their normal beer with a bit of honey with in a it. a bit of honey in it, infused. That's nice. I like it. Webby would like this. I'll take the rest of it. Definitely not. Definitely not what? I wouldn't drink that. It no. tastes because it tastes like beer. Yeah. Yeah. So so drink. there's a recommendation, everyone. It's beer. And it tastes like beer. So it's good beer if it tastes like beer. And it is. I I've enjoyed it. It's a proper good stuff. And it's what is it? three point eight, so it's not too heavy. So we we should be at a trade with a reasonably clear head up, having had half a, a sip of that. Anyway, Susie... Yeah, I don't like it, but I am finishing it. Yeah, no, you've got to. You've got to have that other bottle yet. <laughs> See, you become a natural. Anyway, Susie, I want to say thank you very much for the last two years. I hope you don't secretly mind uh, me hijacking you today for this. I know you're editing yourself, so I the am. probability of you actually saying anything... I'm no, not. I know it'll just so be I'm, a series so of I'm, statements from you, yeah. I'm going to appeal to Rhiannon, who's going to take over as the editor, to just make sure that we get lots and lots of Susie, because it's the once in two year speaking out loud. Well, thank you. You've all been a delight to edit, genuinely. You are really good fun, and we will miss you, and best of luck for the next, what are we on now? 102. Best of luck for the next however many. 340,000. Susie, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 